Welcome to Circles Off here on the Hammer Betting Network, episode number 71. Very easy. Gino. Gino. Gino Malkin, 71. I was looking up other players. I could. There was Dennis Schroeder, wore 71 with the Celtics, but... Actually wore 71 in uh, minor hockey back before I switched my number, so... That's because 69 and 70 were taken, right? Correct. Okay. Of course. Um, we're going to do a guest episode this week. Uh, obviously, anyone who wants to recommend a guest, you can do that in the BetSamp Discord. You could do that in the YouTube comments. You can really do it anywhere. Um, message myself, uh, BetStamp account, HammerHQ on Twitter. We do take the feedback and incorporate it. Our next guest was our most highly recommended or requested guest. You know him as Sam Paniotovic. You can follow him on Twitter at SPShoot. You can watch him as a betting analyst on Nesson. You can read his stuff at Fox Sports. And he is the host of one of my favorite sports betting podcasts. That doesn't really mean much because I don't listen to a ton of sports betting podcasts, full disclosure. But Chicken Dinner, hugely popular in the space. Sam, welcome to Circles Off. How's it going? It's going well. Episode 71, by the way, is the Israel Adonage episode. I'm amazed that we didn't get to that off the top. Is he Adonage? Isn't he like a Canadian football legend? I, I, I mean, possibly. We, <laughs> me, me and Johnny are not the right guys to ask about Canadian football legends, I would say. I mean, there there's a few others like... We love to do the numbers game generally. Football, I usually have someone that comes to mind right away. 70s, you're like in The go-to is a Russian hockey legend who played alongside yeah. one of the greatest Canadian players of all time. Yeah, <laughs> Evgeny Malkin was the easy one. We, we always remember like famous hockey players. But um, Sam, for those that, that don't know you, um, just give us some personal background on yourself and your story and how you got involved in the betting space. Sure. Uh, well, my most recent story is I can't get $100 down at BetMGM on a World Series Exacta. I guess we'll get into that maybe a little bit later on in this program. But um, for me, it started uh, on the south side of Chicago. I was about 14 years old at an all-boys high school, and people were, you know, betting on sports at lunchtime. And, you know, the kid had a notebook and a pencil and an eraser and all that jazz. And and uh, I was like, well, I like sports. I know sports. I can I can make money at this. And at the time, you're betting like five, ten bucks. You're betting lunch money. Will I get a pizza puff? Will I not get a pizza <laughs> puff? Will I get two pizza puffs? I mean, this was this was big shit back in the day when you're a sophomore, junior in high school. And uh, to be honest with you both, I was awful because you didn't really know how to weigh the point spread. Like at that time, Vince Young is in Texas and you think, well, they're going to win and cover every game. And they didn't. And you learned the hard way. Um, but I learned, I eventually in the next five, six years, uh, by way of losing a lot, you sort of learn how to win by understanding what not to do. And then by the time I got to the end of college, I was running numbers and picking up envelopes for people. And you would pay attention because I had the back ends. I would see what all the people that always paid were doing wrong. So you sort of, you know, reshape the wheel, if you will. And, um, you know, it started as, as losing lunch money in high school and then pretty much going through the other side of the counter and seeing the mistakes that other people made and trying not to make those same mistakes. And then from there, you know, 10 years later, I'm working in Vegas, living in Vegas and, and uh, a lot of things that happened in between then. But that was basically how it started for me as a high schooler in Chicago. 
or uh, for full disclosure for everyone who's viewing or listening, I've known Sam now going on about a decade. We met through um, Odd Shark as influencers uh, for the Odd Shark brand and had some some epic Vegas trips. But um, what's scary to me, I almost get shivers because it's we have literally the exact same story. Like, and I and it's crazy in the space how many people have that same story. I started betting young when I was in high school. Had no idea what I was doing. Thought I watched sports and can beat sports, and then realized after losing a lot of money that I can't and then figured out what not to do. And I think like that is so repeatable in the space now, but it's exactly how I got to where I am. Uh, I tell people this all the time. I, I do well in sports betting now for the majority of my life. I've been a losing sports better more, more. I've been more of a loser than a winner in the space, but just wanted to, um, you know, just point out that Are you up or down lifetime. Uh, I'm up. Lifetime. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But yes. but really what's funny though, just bring it up is <laughs> if you ask someone who's like a clear losing sports better, but still betting at, at like the age of like 30, 35, they're like, well, are you up or down lifetime? The answer 90% of the time is going to be this. Um, about even. <laughs> about even <laughs> lifetime. Yeah. If anyone says they're about even lifetime, they're down big. Let's just be, let's put it at that. Would you agree, Sam? I would agree with that for sure. The thing is, like the units, if you will, have increased quite a bit from you know 16, 17 to 33 now. And I think the one thing that I had to learn um, was that I don't have to bet. It's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. And I think, you know, a lot of those accounts that I would see back in the day, we'd be talking, you know, 36 bets on a college football Saturday and guys would go, you know, 16 and 20, but just get murdered by the juice. And then they're buying points and they're buying from six to seven and laying 130, 135 and, and not accounting for all the math that goes into it. So, yeah, I think the older I've gotten, the more I've come to understand that you can bet more on what you love and sort of strike what you are sort of on. Like, you know, I think we all as, as competitors, we love a challenge. We love to be right, but I love three, four games a week. I kind of like six or seven more. And then I'm 50, 50 on 10 more. If I can whittle my list down and concentrate on the goods, then I have a better chance to beat the house. Yes. So everyone has their own process. I, I know people who will bet like 60 college football games on a, on a Saturday, or you would say college basketball as well. High volume, that can profit over time. But the average person who doesn't have an edge, as they continue to fire more bets without an edge, they're just bleeding way quicker than they would if they were more selective. So there's there's all sorts of different styles, but I do often preach that uh, looking for quality over quantity if you are uh, more, you know, if, if you don't have an edge in sports. I'm not saying that you don't, by the way, to each their own, but... You have a process that works for you, and that's completely fine. I do want to talk about your betting, Sam, because um, I follow a lot of betting analysts in the space. Um, you're probably one of the few that I know that's as involved with actual betting as you are with creating sports betting content. So what does your day-to-day look like, and how much, like, basically, how do you weigh the day job against your betting? How do you find time to balance both? You get up earlier and earlier, you know, I mean, I'm probably up at 730 Eastern because I love to see the screen sort of plain, if you will, you know, because a lot of the movers, they don't come in until around five Pacific or later, maybe it's 515, 530. So that's 8, 815, 830 East Coast. So I want to get up and look at the screen 
when it's not lit up like a Christmas tree. Like take a mental picture of what these lines are, what they look like. And then all of a sudden, boom, things start moving, especially Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, college basketball, like eight Eastern and nine Eastern is a freaking free for all. I mean, totals are flying, sides are moving. So it depends on the time of year, but usually I try and get up at, at the latest eight o'clock and look at what the board looks like, you know, like pay attention and then sort of chart that throughout the day. But I have my, you know, my work obligations. I have to write seven columns a week between Nesson and Fox. I have to do two shows per day, uh, a show at one o'clock for 20 straight minutes, and then a, a half hour linear television show at 5.30 Eastern. Um, there are two podcasts a week. We do videos. We do all this stuff. But still, at the end of the day, like the bat phone is number one. Like as long as I can answer it, I will answer it because you never know what you're going to find out. You never know what you're hearing. I talk to groups in Vegas and Colorado and New Jersey and Mississippi. Um, so they tell me what they're going to move on, what they're hearing. And then I, you know, I, I sort of, Rob, it's a weird way. I, I sort of view myself as like a networker. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not really a reporter because I'm not in the business of breaking news, but I can take information that I get and then go to a you know, a source around a school or a booster and say, you know, it's one thing if somebody says, hey, find out what you can about the quarterback. But it's another thing when they go, hey, the quarterback's in trouble or the quarterback's hurt. Then I can take that and go to the source and go, hey, what's up with the quarterback? As opposed to you hearing anything about the quarterback? You know, there's, it's, it's the same question, but the way that I ask it is completely different. So if they know that I know that it's easier to uncover things. So I, I play reporter a lot, but I'm not a public reporter. I funnel it to my friends and funnel it to my partners. And uh, the perfect example was this Aiden O'Connell kid at Purdue. Mm -hmm. You know, two weeks ago, we find out he's not going to play on like a Wednesday or Thursday. And that line is Purdue minus 20. Total 61 and a half, 62. And we have it on 95%. He's not playing. Right. Problem is, Jeff Brom is such a prick, the head coach of Purdue. He's not going to say anything, <laughs> nor is he obligated to say anything, I guess. So, you know, on Sunday, hour before the game, hey, Aiden O'Connell's not going to play. Well, we knew that, but we couldn't confirm that. That's the problem. You're trying to confirm the impossible because nobody at Purdue is going to say with certainty the kid's out. Then, of course, the following week we had him in. But it's I, I answered that sort of all over the place, but my days are all over the place because there's no pattern. Every day is different. And if we get something golden on a quarterback or a, a center or a star running back or whatever – you know, it'll change the entire day. And then I have to either wake up early the next day or stay late on that day. So when I was working uh, a day job as well, I've, I've worked in a variety of different spots. Uh, I was with the score for several years doing content. I was doing, um, you know, consulting for sports books. I've had to do meetings during the day um, where I don't have access to this, to the phone. And I used to be thinking in my head, just sitting there, like you're saying you do like a 20 minute hit at one o'clock. I wonder if you have the same thoughts as me where you're just there and you're like, what am I missing right now? Like I have a, I have a feeling something's there. I can't pull up my phone and actually check. And I wonder if you actually, uh, if you, that, if you have the same, you know, feelings that I do about just not like this to me, I'm so reliable on it right now. And I wonder, you know, putting it away for you, if that actually has like, takes a emotional toll, not being attached to it when you're doing live, live hits emotional toll is a stretch okay. <laughs> um i can tell you though i have wired this computer that i'm on right now with all the messaging apps so i've got the iMessage i've got the gmail 
and I also have Telegram on the computer. So even, don't tell my bosses this, but when I'm at a meeting and I look like I'm taking notes, I'm probably <laughs> answering text messages. But there was a college basketball game. I, I Not that I planned on bringing this up because I never know where we're going to go with things like this. But I remember it was like a, a Loyola SIU total in the Mo Valley in like the middle of February. And those games are low to begin with. The totals are like 126 and a half, 127. And we found out that the two best players at SIU weren't going to go. Now, the drop-off between A and B at SIU is a lot larger than the A and B at Duke, mm -hmm. for example. Because, you know, you go from five-star to four-star. At SIU, you might go from four-star to two-star. So I missed because I couldn't, like, I was giving a presentation. And I missed this total by seven points. And I got to my got back to my seat. And I'm like, you know, and I have 900 messages of like, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go. And I'm like all these people are saying, we're going under, we're going under. And by the time I sat down, I was probably up there for eight and a half minutes. And I missed 126 and a half. The total was 119. And I was never so mad <laughs> during a meeting. But I can't tell people like I gave this great presentation. I thought I sit down and I'm furious. Like, and then I'm like trying to, I'm trying to contain my anger. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, oh yeah, I just, I got a, yeah, I got an email. I'm not too happy about it. I can't tell my, my uh, middle manager that I just missed a line move by seven and a half points. Um, so just I guess missed a 23% times... closing yeah. line value. Yeah. My expected yeah. value on this bet was this much. The, what I made in this presentation was not, not nearly what, what I could have made off this bet. But here's, here's the misconception around the office. People think because I gamble that I'm like this degenerate and it's hard for me to explain how I'm not, you know, like I'm not sitting there like in this meeting, I'm not scratching my neck to fire a random game on something that I don't have an edge on. Like I'm trying to get ahead of what's about to be a huge move. And if you come to my desk, you know, and ask me, like a lot of people come to my desk and I'm in the middle of something they'll go, Hey, what do you think about the Patriots this weekend? And I don't have eight minutes to go back and forth about the Patriots. You know, like I kind of lean to the dog or I like the over. And uh, why is he so short? Why is he? Do because something is going on and I can't tell you what's going on. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. I mean, you're, I get that on the, on the gambling part where you're saying like, you know, you're not really a gambler per se. Uh, the way I see when someone says like gambling, that's more like, yeah, I, I enjoy the sweat of risking money and, having the chance to win money, but it doesn't really entail like having an edge on that. I would consider you Sam more like a better. That's why I consider like, you know, we're not an, an investor in a sense, in a sense. Yes. But we're not really gamblers. Like in, in fact, the, you speak for yourself. I'm I mean, Rob, no, Rob, Rob, Rob is Rob will go dunk some money on the casino horse race game. But like this morning when Rob sends a message, who are we betting on in UCL? Who are, who are we hammering in champions league this afternoon? Yeah, no, Rob, Rob likes message. a sweat. Uh, the, the, the longer I've been, uh, betting myself, like the more I realize I actually hate gambling. Like I, I hate the casino. I don't ever want to go and place a bet. It pains me to place a bet that I know is going to lose or I know, sorry, is a loser, like is negative EV. So I don't even do that. So I, I would actually say like, I'm less of a gambler than like anyone I know, like any of my friends and like I, I actually don't like placing negative EV bets unless, you know what I mean? Like again, with if you're betting with friends and stuff like that and you're just like handshake deal, like I'll bet you 10 bucks on this or like betting on a game of table tennis. Sure. 
But like for actually getting the sweat, I feel you. Like it's hard to explain to people that like I don't actually gamble. I, I don't like the sweat of like losing, potentially losing money. I, I feel well, I used to. I used to. And look, it took me a long time to understand that I wasn't plus EV on the Hawaii game. But look, if you're hanging out with your buddies and it's a Saturday and I started cracking them at 1 p.m. and all of a sudden it's midnight and I'm up a little bit in the account. Yeah, you know, I used to roll it all the time. Let's, you know, Colt Brennan's there or Timmy Chang is there. You know, how can they not cover? Discipline is the hardest part of this racket. I don't need to tell you two that. I'm telling you, the older I've gotten, the less I've fired. And by fired, I mean sort of John Wayne double pistols from the hip. Because the more you do that, the more volatile things can be. Yeah, I think for me, my, you know, my tendencies, like I'll, I'll have the same amount of bets on Sunday now than I would have when I was younger, 10 years ago. But now I've accumulated those over the course of the week at good prices rather than spraying the board, you know, 20 minutes before NFL games start on Sunday. And there's a huge difference between that, right? One is a very degenerate behavior or, or not even just really understanding how markets work. The other is more disciplined in terms of, you know, I, I missed a number. I'm going to let this go now. I'm going to forget about this game. I don't need to bet it anymore. Um, I echo a lot of what you said about the workplace experience as well, because I've, I've faced similar before where I, it just feels like you explain this to people and they're like, you know, they nod, but they just walk away like, yeah, okay, like this guy, he's still like in his heart, just a, a better. But and that's what I'm saying. It's like the people who say like, oh, how are you lifetime up or down? Like, yeah, I'm about even, you know, it's like, that's what it is. It's like people, you say that and no one believes you. And then like Rob will say like, yeah, no, I don't actually like gamble away on just like firing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on random stuff. And they're like, sure, buddy. Yeah, of course, of course you don't. Yeah, of course you don't. But you got like a system. Yeah, that's, oh man. The, the score is uh score bet is advertising these system commercials in, in Canada. I don't know if that's what you're referring to. But yeah, no, I think it's FanDuel actually. You seen, oh, it's the, the score, score bet. Producer Zach's going to listen. It's, it's FanDuel. FanDuel Responsible and they do that Gaming. Dumb, it's the dumbest commercial ever. He's like, I heard, you got, I heard you got a system. He's like, what is it? Home, home dogs? Home dogs? Like, uh, mascots. Birds. Yeah, so it was it's a, It's a horrible commercial. No, no. Then they actually say with that commercial, then they say like, no, my system's actually that I use the FanDuel responsible gaming tools. And then they're like, wow, that's that's the system? That's how you win? And they're like, that's, it keeps it more fun or whatever. It's, well, at least they're uh, advertising responsible a, gaming. Better than a predatory commercial, I guess. But um, Agreed. Um, Sam, let's move on to, to the state of content. I know, uh, I followed you on Twitter for a long time. We've talked off air about stuff like this before, but, um, as someone, you know, me and Johnny are now involved in the content space, obviously with this podcast, I'm doing a bunch of stuff for the hammer betting network. Now I personally often get triggered or, uh, find it offensive. And I'm just being honest with people when I'm compared to others in the space, purely because I think that there is a level of transparency and quality, frankly, that is lacking in the space. Do you ever get the same feeling? Every day. Every day. You see well, you've had a couple bangers, Sam. Sorry to keep you. Sorry. To, you've had a couple banger podcasts that I've, I've enjoyed a lot as well on this topic. But sorry, go back to you, Sam. No, I mean, look, I, you know, I had, I think we're all talking about the same one that was about six months ago. And I just, I had it because I, you know, it's one thing for a, a sports book and I'm not going to name names book or content creator because that's, I've learned that that's just a losing yeah. um, battle, no matter how you shake it. 
but I have an issue when a sports book is just is misleading the customer. It's hard enough in this racket to win. It's hard enough to beat minus 110. But when people that don't win are shaped as people that win by a sports book, that's goal is to take your money. That to me is an issue. And unfortunately, that got a little muddy. I mean, I, I was very careful with what I said. And I stand by what I said. But then you get the people from all different walks of life, like, oh, this guy hates this, and he hates that, and he doesn't appreciate this. And it's like, no, I am, for five years, I've, somebody, one of my listeners sent me a long email after that episode, and he he said, it. you're basically like Batman for the sports betting space. And I thought, well, actually, that's actually not a bad way to put it. Like, I would never say that about myself, but I have, you know, for, for four or five years on Chicken Dinner and on Twitter, I've been saying, you know, boosts are bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, when they take something and boost it from minus 150 to plus 100, like most of those don't win. And that's true. The majority of them don't win. Um, the same game parlay is impossible, you know, to win. If you if you bet those every day, you're going to lose money. But when you roll into an NFL Sunday and you have this phone out and you have an American account, whether it be DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet, MGM, you get literally push notifications to your phone about building the same game parlay, which is like selling crack to crackheads, you know, like it really is. And I just, I want people to make money. When I give plays out on Twitter or on Nesson or on Fox, they're free. When I give plays out on chicken dinner, they're free. Like, I don't want to charge you money. I've been offered to sell picks. I've been offered to do that. I don't like, if you're paying for picks, you have to win even more than, 52 and a half, 53%. So I'm pro consumer. And when I feel like the consumer is being misguided, that's when I get pissed. But Rob and Johnny, I've had to like muzzle myself now because if I join the wrong fight or the wrong conversation, then I'm the bad guy, even though I'm not the bad guy. So it's, it's super backwards at times. Yeah. I mean, it's challenging to navigate because, um, you, you know, and I get this too. I'm, I'm very much in the same boat where people will accuse me of being against a certain person or a certain demographic. And it's really the principle that it bothers me. It has nothing to do with the person. You obviously want to cite an example. The way that I've kind of amended things now is I don't actually take, well, at least I try not to take personal shots at people. And I don't, not even personal shots. I try not to call out a specific person, but rather just a topic and try to educate on the topic rather than citing, oh, this person said this, this is why it's garbage. I think you can make that same point by saying, this is why this concept is garbage without identifying the person. So, um, I mean, it's, it's always going to be challenging to navigate this, right? Because what I find too, is you have so much of the population that's uneducated in the space. The vast majority of people are uneducated in the space. So you might say something, Sam, as, as an informed person, and it might be contrary to what everyone out there believes. And now they think you're the idiot. You're the asshole for saying this stuff. Leave these other people alone. They're just doing their jobs. And I think that's where it becomes extremely challenging to navigate. It's such a weird space right now. And I hope over time, maybe in five years, this whole thing gets cleaned out the right way. Um, if you remember, you know, when DraftKings and FanDuel first started popping, the Daily Fantasy, this is like 2010-ish, 2011, everybody was a fantasy expert. And Twitter wasn't as popular then as it is now, 
but everywhere you looked, there were all these fantasy experts. And Kostos and I have talked about this, you know, Nick very well. Um, we go back a long time. He said he remembers 2012, 13, 14 being hell on earth, you know, going to websites looking for fantasy because you didn't really have people that were transparent. This is before the bet stamps of the world and the action network tracking and all that. So it was the wild west. And you had to basically try and handicap if the handicapper was solid or not. And you didn't know because records were few and far between. And you'd see this person with a gold chain on and like a pimp hat and a feather. And you're like, oh, well, he must know what he's doing. And you never knew. You never knew. So I, I think the transparency to me is is the most important thing in this space. You know, if I'm looking for content and I'm looking for advice, I have to I have to see records like I just do. I want to know what this person is. I want to know what they are in the NBA or in college basketball or in hockey or in college football or whatever. And that's why on chicken dinner, I literally put at the bottom of every pick I give out for free. I put the record of that sport in parentheses and you can see it. And if you really wanted to go back and track it, you could do that. I have spreadsheets in case anybody calls me out. Um, but yeah, I mean, transparency is the most important thing. And I don't think, I mean, if I were to ask you to take a hundred content creators, right? Take a hundred male, female, whatever. How many of the hundred are wholeheartedly transparent? How would you answer that of a hundred? Wholeheartedly? One. Oh, Rob's, Rob loves that word. I would one. say one. <laughs> one. one out of a hundred yes. are like actually transparent. Fully transparent in that like, because there's- well, Do you consider yourself transparent? That, that's actually a good question. That That's, it's, my situation is very complex relative to other content creators. Cause I bet professionally and I have to try to, you know, I can't give out every single bet that I've ever made because it would only work against me. However, all the bets I give out in public, I do track. So I think from that sense, I'm transparent, but there's a lot of people who think that they are transparent and they aren't like, I'll give you a random example of stuff I see all the time in the content space that nobody else is going to see, but somebody might give out a play on an NFL game at random Colts minus three minus 110 just picking random teams here later in the week they say they don't like the Colts anymore they like the other side they're buying out of that play well okay you've bought out of that play now you actually have a bet on the other side essentially so those should be tracked as two independent bets you can't just delete that from the record there's vig involved here no one can buy out for free but people do that they just remove it from their picks and they go on like nothing happened and that's like you know, maybe not intentional, maybe it is, but I think there, are, I think there's like 1%, truly 1% that is fully transparent. I think on top of that, there's maybe a 25% that think they are, but they in reality are not. I don't know if you would agree with me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know if like anybody is like a hundred percent transparent because you still are always selling something, right? So like Rob, he has all these bets that he doesn't share. Right. And he's, he's, he can never share them because it doesn't make sense to do it. He's going to, he will stand to lose more by sharing them than he would by posting them. Sorry, by sharing them than by not sharing them. However, you're still building up this like persona that like you win on sports betting. Right. And I, I know he wins. And like, I know, you know, you know, just it's not, it's not hard to tell because you can hear the way he talks. And like, obviously, I, I, I see the stuff you're betting and I, I know it wins. But also on top of that, the amounts you're betting, like you just, you'd be broke if you were, if you're a lo shitty losing better, obviously. So I don't, I know Rob wins, but also if you're just a random guy on, on Twitter who just joined like, yeah, Rob Pizzola's pro better. Like 
how do you really know that he wins? You don't. So like everyone is still mixing something up. I want to bring up this actually. So I was talking to a really close buddy of mine. He, he doesn't bet sports. Uh, just like guy, uh, my buddy that I grew up with, one of my best friends, he is, uh, in the fitness industry. He's a trainer and he does like online coaching and stuff like that. And the one thing that he really brought up to me was he was like, Oh man, it's crazy. Like I'm trying to grow. He's trying to grow in the fitness industry by putting out like really good, high quality content. And he doesn't want to scam people and do all this shit. But there's constantly people growing online presences that he says in his industry. Keep in mind, I don't mention the how that it's the same in gambling and sports betting. But he was like, there's guys that just sell like this program or this course or this thing. And they get like 100,000 followers. And then they're making like 100, 200 grand a month Mm -hmm. selling this like course that's going to get you abs in two weeks. And he's like, they're not going to get abs in two weeks. It's a complete bullshit thing. But there's marketers. They go to it. And now those guys are big. And those guys are the big guys in the industry. And they're giving out all this thing like get get ripped quick. The same way that guys in our industry are like get rich quick. And those guys themselves are, you know, let's say it's a, a male uh, influencer would be like someone who has a six pack and a body that people would desire. And then we look at this gambling industry and you see like guys who are like, yeah, I win all this money betting. Like, here's my car. Here's my thing. It's the exact same. So what I was, when I heard that from him, I was like, that's crazy because there's really, if you back out, that exists in every single industry. So when you're saying, Sam, like, oh, it's just like the industry's terrible right now with all this, I agree. But also I feel like that just happens every single industry. There's always going to be people who are just like, yo, get rich quick. And then they blow up and they're like, how did all these dumb people fall for this? But maybe that's just life. Maybe that just happens in that space. And then also in our space. So when I'm like, yo, Rob, this guy appears to be a pro better. Like everyone does that. And everyone has to like, at some point, just trust a guy that this guy is good because it's never going to be like a hundred percent transparency. I don't follow you around all day. Is this, is this, is this a fine rant or did I overstep here? Well, I think you hit on it because I think a real issue, not only in sports betting, but in society in general, is the struggle or the battle between short-term gratification and long-term goals. I mean, that's that's 80% of us, right? I mean, we worry about you know putting a picture on Instagram. I don't even have Instagram for the record, but let's put this picture on Instagram and get 600 likes from people we never talked to as opposed to picking up the phone and calling our best friend or our mother or whatever. So it's like, it's weird. Like the way that we, you know, sustain relationships. A lot of us is super weird because we rely on people we never talk to, to sort of build us up. And I think that's sort of what you're talking about with the marketing of this, you know, shredded six pack thing. Like, Ooh, I can look like that. I don't really want to put the work in. I don't want to go to the gym every day or five days a week, I want to take this, or I want to take that. I want to, I want to get the secret or I want to cut corners to look like that. And I think I learned that in high school. Look, it's all about the long-term. It's about the big picture. It's not about the short-term gratification. Agreed. Uh, Yeah. I think shortcuts are definitely like why we see people buying picks in the space for one. It's like, ah, I don't really want to put in the work. I'll just buy picks from someone else who put in the work, regardless of whether that work is good or not. I'm going to buy picks from someone who put in the work. So uh, I agree with a lot of, of what you said there. Uh, I want to pick up on something just really quickly. You said you don't have an Instagram, which is fine. I mean, I have you're an Instagram. Mi- you're missing out on, uh, a, on a lot of uh, triggering stuff. So I, you're probably I, saving yourself. I presume you don't have a TikTok either. No. Nope. So I have to ask you this because we are seeing content in the sports betting space move in a different direction, which is to other platforms. Twitter 
it's still huge for sports betting content, but we're seeing a lot of stuff pop up on Instagram in shorter form, in TikTok in shorter form. Is that something that you would ever consider gravitating to? Have you thought about branching out to other platforms? Never, never. I have too much to do. I don't, I care more about my relationships and more about the right content than wasting 20 minutes putting up a TikTok. I know there are people watch TikToks in the hundreds of thousands and all that. But I've always thought that TikTok was was for people that want attention. And I don't really want attention. And that might sound weird because our goal is to build our brands and all that. But I don't give a shit about how many followers I have. You know, somebody go, he's only got 12,000 followers. Yeah, but I have better relationships than somebody with 50,000 followers. And just because somebody looks a certain way or can do a certain thing, it doesn't mean that they win at sports betting. Like if you're following TikTokers for your sports bets, that's a you problem. Right. And I think you need to figure that out before it gets way too weird. I mean, like all this stuff, like the, you know, my, my new favorite thing on TikTok and people send, unfortunately, I don't have TikTok, but people still send me this garbage. <laughs> my favorite TikTok thing now is when, Somebody bets the strikeout prop over and it's three and a half or four and a half. And the pitcher finishes with three or four. And it's that damn hook. They lost by the hook. By the I, I, it drives me insane. Like where I'm from, the hook is a differentiator between a game that was back and forth. It's a basketball game lined at six and a half. And the favorite's up nine. And then the dog is down four. Mm -hmm. And then it ends with a buzzer beater off the backboard and the game lands six. That is the hook. Cut the, I went over three and a half strikeouts, leaving the minus 150 juice out of the equation, by the way. Right. <laughs> over three and a half, minus 150, lands on three. Ah, oh, I lost by the hook. No, you did it. Shut the hell up. What about over one and a half three-pointers? <laughs> We, By the we, we, we saw one is literally quite literally the most likely outcome is going to happen like 45% of the time, if not more for, if you have over one and a half, three pointers. I saw the interception hook excuse one time. No, you know oh, what the wait, was it an over zero and a half? It's 0.5. It's 0.5. <laughs> he threw a pick. I lost by the hook. Lost by the hook. One interception. Ah, we lost by the hook. It is what it is. Um, you mentioned something about how you want to do like the right sports betting content. Uh, I'm curious how you would measure success in sports betting content or what you define as being quote unquote, the right type of sports betting content. That's a very good question. I think it's different with all the platforms like on chicken dinner. My goal is to send picks out that will beat the closing number. Like I want to send out the team at minus one and a half before they get to three. Um, you know, I, and I send those plays out. Like I sent out a play the other day, Iowa plus three and a half. I think that's going to come down to three. It might close two and a half. So I wanted to send that out then in there. So chicken dinner is come get it, come get it now. Cause I think it's going to move or I have some knowledge that it might move. Um, with Nesson, I want to really explain the why and the how, you know, on the television show, I think, you know, throughout New England, there are a lot of people that don't gamble and they're getting like, if you follow me on chicken dinner, you, you have an idea that I know what I'm talking about, but the television audience is new to me, especially because I'm not from here. So they don't know me from a hole in the wall. I have to basically explain what things are, why they move, 
how things are sort of changed and moved around. So I think the education for me on Nesson is is paramount because we're speaking to a new audience and sports betting still isn't legal here. And then with Fox, I hate to admit this, but I care the most about the win loss record because that's what they care about. Um, and I've, I've gotten off to an insanely hot start that's rather unsustainable. Um, but I make those best bets usually in a post on Friday when we have all the information, when we know who's in, we know who's out. These lines are are probably not going to move all that much. And then I'm just handicapping the games. And um, I started 12 and four, went three and two last week. Um, so it's it's like it's a stupid hot start. But that's what they care about. And so I am sort of pushed to care about that. Like, let's win more than we lose. And those are all flat bets. I mean, it's one unit of pop at minus 110 most of the time. So I I'm sort of start dunking you, in some minus 700 money lines. Yeah. Or the the uh, the ESPN writer that was a, a best bet story going into the 2020 season. It was give us your best bets in the the writer put the Dodgers to make the playoffs at minus fifteen hundred. Was the was the <laughs> hey, best bet? Hey, if he made if he made the line minus ten thousand and he was getting minus fifteen hundred, you know. Here's the thing, though, he didn't make the number <laughs> minus ten thousand. Metcalf and I went back and forth on this on chicken dinner. We sat down in August, and he was like, "Well, you know, if, if it should be minus five thousand, you could lay fifteen hundred. And I'm like, "Yes, in theory, you're right, but for the this season person, too." Yeah. This person did not think that. Don't I don't even want to start. And then Metcalf and I got into the agreement or the um the argument rather. Well, if if you gave me minus two thousand on the sun to come up, and I go, that would never happen. Like that's a terrible example. Who would be dealing the sun to come up at minus two thousand? And he goes, but if it was, so then we're going back and forth about this stupid sunrise agreement or argument. <laughs> And he's right. I mean, if, if you could lay, you know, two dimes and win one, the sun would come up, you'd do it. But that would never be a thing. Yeah, but also, if he did have an edge on that, it's fine. You could give out that pick. But, like, I feel like in a season-long article, like, it's tough to give out the favorite to make the playoffs as your top edge, especially because you'd have to tie up that money for the whole season, too. Like, maybe, it is what it maybe is. his goal is he, was... Was he counting, like, his units, though, at the end? Because then it's it's fine. But if he's counting... Or, like, his ROI. But if know. he's counting his, like... 3 and 0 Dodgers make the playoffs and then like just like you know worst team miss playoffs. Yeah, some stuff like that. But I mean that's that's possible, right? You never know when that's part of the challenge with the content space. Like at the end of that season, the Dodgers make the playoffs or if they missed, let's say they missed as an example. Is that person going to be like, "Oh, lost 15 units in my preseason bet?" No, they're going to be like 0 and 1. 1. And actually they probably wouldn't even say 0 and 1. Let's be real here. They wouldn't call it to their call it out. Because this is so long ago, people forgot about it by now. But no one would use the minus 15 units. I just think that that's like, whether he had an edge or not, or thought he had an edge or not, how lame is that though? If you like, as a reader, you're just like, okay, like this guy's telling me the Dodgers are going to make the playoffs. Like, this is why I'm I'm reading ESPN. I don't, I don't, like, I don't agree with you guys fully on this. Like, I, it's fine to give out a minus 1500 if it's a bet, but you guys are 100% right. You didn't think that was a good bet. You just gave that out. Like, there's no way you had an edge but, on But that. say you were writing a, an article. I, like, you, you do a lot of props, right? On a weekly basis. Say your favorite prop of the week was actually like a minus 4,000, yeah, no safety I'm, in the I'm game. I'm not going to give out Gerald Everett, no first touchdown score. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, you would find something that isn't as just like a complete obvious bet to make. Do you know what I'm saying? 
I guess, but like you, you're still, if you have an edge on that, you have an edge on that. You know what I mean? Like you could have an edge on a minus, like minus 5,000, Tom Brady, no last touchdown. Yes. If you have that, you have it. But yes, you wouldn't give that on an article. It's like, it's not, it's not legit. I would also say that it does you such a disservice to give out that big minus because it's like a no win scenario for you as the content creator, right? Like if that bet wins, everyone's like, oh, great. Like you told me the Dodgers are going to make the playoffs. Thank you. Like everyone knew that. Once that bet loses, you are going to get roasted. Yeah, you're right. So like it, it puts you in a situation. I'd much rather be the guy giving out plus 200s, plus 300s here and there. Like if, if I'm going for the non-transparent way of advocating bets, I think it's a lot easier to give out the plus 200, plus 300 type of thing and then continuously on a weekly basis say like, hey, you know, it was a long shot, didn't expect it to win, didn't come through, record doesn't really matter because I'm taking underdogs. Like th- that, that's the way... If I'm if I'm in the non-transparent space, Sam, that's the way I'm going with it. I could not live with myself if I told my audience to lay 15 to win one on a very risky make-the-playoffs market in baseball. Because as we learned this past year with the Chicago White Sox, mm-hmm. who were minus 700 to make the playoffs, and I look, I, I ate a lot on that team this year. I will be the first to admit that. And I... I told people to lay 190 when the season started, and I, I kind of came back and said, you know, halfway through, you should take them at plus money, like plus 125, plus 130. So I lost people 3.2 units on that. T- Actually, no, sorry, 2.9, one nine and, and one. Um, so, you know, that sucks. But if I told somebody to lay seven, 800 and it lost, I just like that would defeat everything I've done over the last 10 years. I totally get it. I totally get it. You've mentioned a bunch of different sports uh, in terms of your betting, baseball, college basketball. We are in football season. I know you're a big football better. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about college football. And I have personally found it extremely challenging to bet both college football and the NFL uh, in unison. But particularly with college football, there are so many games. I come from a more mathematical approach. So I can run a model number on every game. But I always fear that I'm missing something. Like there's somebody in, you know, with better information or someone who understands teams a little bit better than that can be more successful in college football than someone who's just making a number on a game and, and betting their edges. So um, if you're comfortable with doing it, can you walk us through your handicapping style? Because you did mention that you do handicap college football games on Friday as well. What goes into that? Uh, obviously, you don't have to give away all the trade secrets or anything like that, but do you have any sort of mathematical approach or is this mostly just some sort of qualitative analysis? It's mostly market and feel. Like I, I have power ratings from a couple handicappers that I really respect, and I use that as sort of the North Star, but power ratings, as we know, are not always 100%. In fact, they're rarely near 100%. Um So I will look at a lot of times I love my situationals. Like I love teams that are like, I I call it the accordion effect all the time on chicken dinner. When a team has won and covered four straight Mm -hmm. against a team that's maybe two and two, one and three ATS, like that point spread is naturally bigger because maybe the game should be nine and a half, but the spread is 12 and a half, 13. Um, You know, why, why should I not take the points with an ugly team 
that has really not done anything wrong, but they've been on the wrong side of a couple bad breaks, like a pick six or, you know, a blocked field goal for a touchdown. Like those things all matter. And I think it all comes out in the wash. But I, the first thing I do is when those lines come out Sunday at Circa, like I write, I write the first five that, that jump off. And I love, you know, I had a bookmaker years ago teach me the importance of the opening number. For example, if a sports book in Vegas opens up a game seven and a half, they like the favorite. They're not telling you that, like they would never openly admit that. But when you open a football game seven and a half and not six and a half, you naturally have built in your respect for the favorite because most people would look at that and go, ooh, I'm going to take the hook, right? I'm going to take seven and a half. So why is it seven and a half and not seven or six and a half? To me, that's fascinating. Those football games, big favorites. Is it team 20 or is it team 21 and a half? There's a reason for that. Like understand that. Like a 21 and a half point favorite is 21 and a half for a reason instead of being 20. So a 20-point favorite, the book naturally is built in to the dog. So I, I look at where these numbers open, and then I watch how they move. And I'm not talking at Circa, because Circa will take two bets and move the game three points. I look offshore to Chris, and I see where Chris is moving. And if you see those moves on Monday and Tuesday, sure, sometimes they're setting something up for later in the week. But if you see a team go from five to seven on Monday, and you can grab a six and a half, a stale six and a half, you take it because I think beating that number is the most important thing in, in sports. You know, some people will say it's not, I disagree. If you can constantly get the right number and beat the market and get ahead of it, you're going to win more times than not. I firmly believe in that. So I'm trying to get an understanding of the market and get a feel for where things were and where they're going, where they're headed. And that's sometimes half the battle. Like last week I laid 16 and a half with Oregon. Because I knew I laid that on Wednesday because Rob, I knew by Saturday it would be 17 right. or 17 and a half. Yep. And they're up at half 31 to three. They end up winning by 18. So all the numbers hit, but I I've done this long enough. I've sat at this freaking computer for six, eight hours a day for years. I know that Oregon is going to be 17, 17 and a half. So I know that I have to lay it at 16 and a half. So it's understanding the number more than anything else. And then if you get the right information, you have to understand like where this could go. Like the Purdue example we talked about, the kids, the kids on the fence, the books don't know if he's in or not. Purdue's 12 and a half at Minnesota. If he's in, I look at what Kenny White has. Like where does he have O'Connell at the point spread? He had him six points to the line. So if this kid gets ruled in, you're not going to move it to seven because then the Sharps would come in and lay Minnesota seven, seven and a half, eight. But if I can grab 12 and a half right now and make a little dice roll that he's going to play mm -hmm. and this number goes sub 10, I have to take the 12 and a half. But it's because I respect the sources who gave me the information. So, look, it's a very it's a very complex stew. Like, I don't think there's one way to skin it. Yep. There, it's like you're throwing multiple ingredients in and figuring it out over time. But I, you have to know where the numbers were and where they're going. And you have to understand the way the market's going to move. So I would say, you know, it's less math for me and it's more market and more feel of what's going on. It's funny that you mentioned there's more than one way to skin it just because in the office this morning, yeah, you can't say that we were, we were talking about how PETA hates these types of things. And I don't know if there's an alternative <laughs> to that one, but we were looking at some of the recommendations. How hard did I laugh at the, the one? What was, um, so it was it two said, kill birds with one stone. Yeah, he, kill two birds with one stone. They instead are now recommending that you say, feed two birds with one scone. <laughs> <laughs> the 
that's one, man. Okay. That's All so right. Are they are they male birds or female birds? Can we, never mind. Let's not even go into yes. that. I don't I don't know, but but uh, basically they yeah they released like I mean I don't think this is new. Obviously, no. This has been around for years. I heard this many years ago. Of like PETA is upset with all these. Um, you know, beat a dead horse. They don't want you saying beat a dead horse. They want you to say feed a fed horse instead, <laughs> which, um, you know, take home the bacon. Like it's now take home, take home the bagel, <laughs> take home the bag, bring it home, the bring, bagels, bring it home baby. the bag, the bagels. Well, so. you notice I stopped short. I said, skin it. I it, didn't even go to, I didn't even cross that bridge because I stopped myself. There you go. You're a seasoned pro. I'm the guy that's going to get in trouble with PETA for even bringing it up. But I did find those hilarious. And I, I, I just can't believe it came up. I mean, I, I can believe it, but, um, I do want to talk a little bit about, so you're very adamant about just getting the best of the number which I think both myself and Johnny highly agree with. Um, I, even if you don't like that side in the game, being able to get down on that before it moves gives you opportunities to do a lot of things, whether that's play back on the other side, hold the position. Um, th there are so many things you can do. I think this is kind of topical because there was a tweet that I, I noticed yesterday. It came from Sharp Clark NFL on Twitter. Uh, Josiah Sharp, I've, I heard him on the Props and Hops podcast before. Uh, I don't know much about him, to be completely honest with you. No, it's not a criticism of him. But this was the particular tweet. Obviously, closing line value matters. And you always want to get the best of the number. But last night, and he's referring to Monday Night Football, was an example of why it's not what defines a good bet. If that game opened Rams plus three and closed Rams plus one and a half, the plus three was always a bad bet. The closing line wouldn't have changed that. I understand what he's trying to say. I don't agree. I'm curious what your thoughts are that. Because the, the point is that San Fran rolled the Rams in the game, right? You, you've now seen San Fran kill them. How can you say plus three was a good bet after knowing what the outcome was? I'm curious what your thoughts are there. It's not a bad bet. I think he lost me a bad bet. If you're constantly grabbing three, which I don't need to understand or I don't need to explain, is the most common landing number in the NFL, right? The field goal, 27-24, um, 17-14, 21-18, yep. 24-21, whatever. That's the most common landing number in the NFL. So if you can constantly grab three with a team that goes off plus one and a half, that is not a bad bet. But there's a difference between good bet, bad bet, and right bet, wrong bet. Like I have made hundreds of good bets that lost. Plus three, when a game closes one and a half, is a good bet. Now, it may be the wrong result and it may not win, but I I can't I can't sit here and let somebody who's lecturing that plus three was a bad bet. Like it might have been the wrong result. But if you were able to get three in an NFL game that closed one and a half, how many people beat the line in the NFL? I mean, 30% maybe. And then, I say and that, then, that's and how many people are beating the, the line like at full limits at close? Like we had Chris Bennett um, who manages NFL trading at Circa on the show. And we asked him that question. And he said, there's about a handful of people at Circa that can bet into full limits and win on the NFL. So I think it's like, a, it's, I'm not calling Sharp Clark here 
Josiah Clark a narcissist. That's not what I mean to say, but I think it's sort of a narcissistic tweet in the sense of like, yeah, like I, I knew what the, was going to happen in this game. Screw the market. Like the market doesn't matter in this spot. They were completely wrong about it. And I don't agree because you have like a, an intellectual group of people that are essentially moving the number and the sports book is reacting to what they know betters are right circa chris pinnacle all the market move all, like all the market makers in terms of sports books are saying okay we like we have all these betters that like the rams at three we're now going to move off of that we're going to move to two and a half we're going to move to two we're going to move to one and a half and yes it can be you against the market you might occasionally win but for me it's if I'm if I'm a sportsbook trader, I am way more concerned about the guy who bet Getting or, three. Gir- yep. or girl who bet the Rams plus three than whoever bet the 49ers minus one and a half at close. Well, what also people don't realize a lot is the closing line is exactly as it sounds, closing line, meaning that was the last possible line you could get before the game started. And once the game starts, it's a whole new thing now. So you bet up until the game started the line from Monday is the same bet as the the game as the bet from 12 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, right? Those are the same bet because the game hasn't started yet. Right. As soon as the game started, one second in, now information is now there that is different, and that closing line is no longer applicable. So that's why I hear people say sometimes like, "Oh, I got the so if there's like Green Bay Packers minus seven, they go down they go down seven nothing to the Patriots," and they're like. I got Green Bay minus one and a half. Amazing closing line value. You didn't get closing line value. You you bet a new game now. You bet a new thing. They were down seven. Right. So when we're looking at like, was it a good bet? You could judge whether it's a good bet or not based on where the line closed at this. That was all the info you had at the time. As soon as you the game starts and some performance starts coming in, it's now a new thing. Right. The result of that game has pretty much, I know it's impossible to understand. It sounds dumb to even say it. The result of that game has absolutely zero impact on whether that was a good or a bad bet in this scenario. The plus three was an incredible bet that is going to win in the long run. The minus one and a half is a at, coin flip. at minus 10 is going to lose in the long run. And there's nothing else to it. And it's, I don't really know. It sounds dumb. Well, well it depends. Like it. For, for, for me, it's, it's the market that we're talking about here, right? This isn't betting some like European, you know, handball game where it's like $200 limits. We're talking about sportsbooks that are taking six-figure bets at the time of close, right? And uh, I, I, there seems to be like a, you know, there, there's the, the the CLV stands like myself, and then there's the non-CLV uh, people who think that they have an edge over close. I, my whole argument would be like, there's so many people that come out to, to me on a, a regular basis, and they're like, well, you know, I'm beating I'm beating NFL every week, and I bet on Sunday mornings. It's like then why don't why aren't you living on a yacht like at this point because you can bet as much money as you want on this either you're not confident enough to do that or you're actually not doing that so i, I that that's where i come in on it but well if you also had uh sorry i'll let's sam speak in a second he's the guest here but if you have it at um like let's say you're you're betting into the closing line when people give the point spread it ends up being a little bit more confusing for people but if you i wonder if the guy would have said the same tweet in regards to the money line for example i'll give you an uh, example here i bet the rams at plus 200 and it closed at plus 120 the plus 200 was always a bad bet it's like really though because you could have probably got san fran at minus 140 at close and now you literally had a 60 cent arb 
where you could just have bought out of that position and made a significant percentage of money. So when we're looking at like the the money line, I think cha- it changes stuff a little bit. It's like, oh, well, of course, the Rams it must have been a good bet. I, I got so much better odds. But with the spread, they don't see it as much because they're like, ah, oh, what are the chances of a middle, yada, yada, yada. It's not guaranteed money. Agreed. But there's also but- more than one way to peel the potato here. <laughs> And uh, that is. The, I see what you did. That yeah, is the re- that is the reference that we got to be making here. But back to is, is that the official PETA one? It there's, is. There's more than one way to peel the potato. It is. It was looked up. The, there is more than one way to peel the potato. There really isn't though. Like who's peeling a potato with any like? <laughs> well, you could use a knife. You I guess use a you potato could, okay, peeler. You, there's more than one like appliance to I peel guess, a I potato. Don't know. You can you can use your teeth. <laughs> I usually use a machete to uh, peel my <laughs> potatoes. Actually. Look, the minus one and a half on San Fran, I think, is a, is a good bet. Like, if you're going to take, you know, if you're going to lay one and a half with a game that, you know, open three, like, I, I get that side of it. But I, I hate two things about the argument. Plus three is never a bad bet in a game that closes one and a half. And I also hate the hindsight shit. Like, for this, I'm assuming this person tweeted this after the game and probably said nothing before the game, which, they, again. They, they picked San Fran, so... um you know, I, I I don't want to misspeak here in terms, I don't actually full, I'm not fully confident in what uh, Josiah Clark does. I believe his picks are behind the paywall for the company that he works for. I do, do think that he made it like apparent at the beginning of the game that he really like San Fran. So okay. it's not pure right. results-based analysis, but it's it somewhat is. CLV, though, is an issue for a lot of people. And I pulled up uh, one of my tweets from September of 2021. I went after one of my favorite content creators that will remain nameless. Um, He was bragging about a Cardinal Super Bowl bet that was placed at 44 to 1. And after, let's see, two weeks in the NFL, he quoted said bet and said, y'all thought I was absolutely crazy for making this bet. Got a ton of hate for it, among the most I've ever received for a futures bet. I know it's early, but expecting some solid CLV here next week. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. How do you get CLV after two weeks of the NFL season on a conference betting market or a Super Bowl betting market that doesn't close until January or February? So that's the other part. Like People just throw those letters around like they know what's going on and you can't get closing line value on a conference betting market after week two. Well, you, you could get closing line value in a conference betting market. If you bet it on Monday morning and you're like, I, I bet this at uh, 18 to one. And by the end of the day, no shop had higher than 10 to one. But before any games are played, as soon as one more game plays, that team wins again. You don't have closing line value. You just your bet started already. Exactly. You're up seven, nothing. That's all it is. You got the first touchdown. That's it. Listen, I mean, at the end of the day, like there are scenarios where you do make a bet like that, which is Cardinals 44 to one. They went on a really hot streak to start the year. That allows you to do a lot of things right at that point. If you can find a no market on the Cardinals to win the Super Bowl, potentially at that price, you can arb out. So you've done something there. You can choose to pocket it. You can choose to add more to the portfolio as like a hedge against the Cardinals if you believe that there's other teams that offer value now because maybe the Cardinals are inflated in market. But overall, I mean, it is a relatively small market too when we're talking about like NFL futures. That's not to say you can't get a bunch down. You can, but relative to like the main markets, it's different. And 
I mean, the thing that triggers me the most is the, I guess, sort of the reverse line movement aspect of sports betting because it completely dismisses the notion of the closing line value, right? I mean, it's essentially waiting for the whole market to move to get to a spot and then saying, okay, sharps are on this, I'm going to bet it, but you've, you're betting it after they've already moved it. Like, I think it's dismissing one of the most important principles of sports betting, which you're adamant about, Sam, which is just like, get the number before it moves. Like that to me is just the most important and like put your biases of the team aside. If you can successfully do that, you have all sorts of options available to you right before game time as well. Like I said, you can hold the position, you can get out of it, you can do whatever you want. Sometimes you can try to middle a position if you do that, right? So I, I think ultimately people would be better served to just like forget about thinking what's going to happen in the game and more served to, to just understand where the line is going to go. Absolutely. And that's a very good example. Um, last week, you know, Seattle and Detroit, uh, Detroit opened up six at home and I missed the plus six because I was doing something and then it went to five and, you know, I started to see it trending down and before it got to four and a half, I was able to get some five. Now, look, I missed the six. I understand that. But then there was an issue where we didn't know who was going to be playing for Detroit. You know, St. Brown was on the injury report, didn't look good. Uh, DeAndre Swift was on the injury report. At that point, Hawkinson was on the injury report, and he wasn't sure if he was going to play. They had the left guard and the center on the injury report. So the report was not getting better, and I thought, all right, well, I'm going to take some five and some four and a half. That game goes off three and a half. Did I get the six? No. But I was able to sort of understand that, look, this thing is trending in the wrong direction, and even though I missed the six – I could take some five and some four and a half before it crashes through four. Yep, exactly. Um, I want to talk to you about chicken dinner a little bit as well. 207 episodes in the book. Highly impressive. Uh, as someone who has done a third of that number, I have mad respect for that. Um, speaking for myself here, not on behalf of Johnny, I do find that as, with each passing episode, not the guest episodes per se, but ones that are like more topical for us, becomes harder and harder to come up with topics for these. Um, do you have the same issue that we do in terms of like you're, you're three times more episodes than we have? Um, from a topical perspective, do you find that um, you're either like rehashing old things? I know you do a lot of current stuff as well and you build that in, but is it challenging for you to continue that? And then honestly, very personal question, but is it something that you still enjoy doing? Because I know a lot of people that we've talked to before, um, maybe not actually on the show, but off air in the sports betting content space are like, I love this for the first like one or two months. And now I just like, it's a commitment. It's an obligation for me now. And I don't have the same fun. So curious um, how you feel about it. You don't have to answer. I mean, if it's, if it's an uncomfortable question, no problem, but I, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in the response. I'm an open book. I'm not hiding shit. So I let me let me give you the first thing that came to my head. The most frustrating thing about chicken dinner is that it's a one stop shop. And what I mean by that is that I build the rundown. I host it. I edit it. I upload it, mm. you know, publish it, you know, make the write up. So, you know, people think because it's a 35 to 45 minute episode, it only takes an hour. But the entire process, and if I have a guest, I have to edit the guest too. And usually I do 25 minutes of myself and then 15 to 20 with a guest. So it takes me three times the guest. So if it's a 20-minute spot, 
It takes me 60 minutes to clean it up and edit it and fix the audio. So a 45 minute podcast takes me personally about four hours. That's the maddening part about it. But it means so much to me because it's mine. And remember, Rob, you know, Joe Ostrowski and I started that in Chicago back in 2016. And that was at a point when you couldn't talk gambling in Chicago on the radio. Mm-hmm. I was at WGN. Joe was at the score. I remember I got in trouble for giving the point spread to a Bears game one time. I was like, oh, the Bears are a three-point favorite in Nashville. Jay Cutler's probable. Kyle Long is questionable, as he always was. And the total's 41. My boss is like, hey, we don't give the point spread. So we started that show because we love gambling and there was nothing in Chicago to listen to. So that show got me to Vegas, to VEASAN, and that show sort of set everything up. So I just, I love doing it because it's, it's something that I've done for so long. Um, the frequency has cut down. Uh, as you know, when I didn't have a job after I quit VEASAN, I was doing it five times a week and that was insanity. Now I do, you know, if I'm lucky two a week, but I try and hit at least one a week. The topics I try and keep current, like uh, the episode that drops today with Dave Sharapan, we talked about betting on the World Series. And there are some markets that allow you to do the exacta boxes or the exactas. Mm-hmm. Like I can go Dodgers over Guardians at 50 to one. I can go Guardians over Dodgers at 70 to one. Mm-hmm. And we're explaining, you know, how do we have edges on these certain teams in this certain market? Um but in football season, the job does itself. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday episode, you, you sort of recap the week that was. And then by the weekend, you're getting into the handicapping and the picking. But then there's topics of the day, like some stupid post from a sports book or, you know, BR betting chasing around some squid that made a $10 parlay to win 74K and he is not made for the content game. You know, yep. um, you can have fun with that. Like, okay, this person made a $10 bet, 12 legs to win 74K. And they followed him around like he was a rock star. And he wasn't, you know, to me, that was funny. Like the guy wasn't, he wasn't entertaining at all. So I'm going to have a little fun with that. Like I go, all right, well, that part was cool. They put him up at Circa and, you know, they gave him VIP. However, the crew he was with was not cool. You know, so I have a little fun with that. But it's, I would say it's mostly um, people want to know your process. And I think you guys have learned this too. People want to know how you peel the potatoes if you will. They want to know how you're thinking. They want to know what's going on between the years. They want to know what we think about football games and basketball games. And they want to know what we're betting and how we get to these bets. Um, Because the process um, for most people, they have nine to fives or eight to fours or they're driving trucks overnight. They don't have the time to sit at the screen like we do or handicap like we do. And they rely on us to inform and educate them. But if you're doing a podcast, it has to be entertaining. So you know, I like to ride the uh, the roller coaster, if you will, from time to time. But yeah, I love it. I want to do it as long as I can. Um, I don't know where it's going to be in three, five years, you know, but I know that I own it. And I know that I know that I have total creative authority over it. So that's why I love it, because I can't I can't go off the handle on Nesson or on Fox, but I can on chicken dinner. And that's why it's my baby. Yep. I completely get it. It's just a different outlet where you can be you. And I think people... Uh, I think people really enjoy circles off because they see like a side of myself and Johnny as just, just us like, you know, and, and I, I think that's why like a lot of lifestyle content is picking up on YouTube. And I'm not even saying in the sports betting space could be anything, right? Like just two guys out on the golf course, 40 minute YouTube video of them recording their round and just chatting in between each hole and on the green. And people just like to 
you know, resonate with another person. And um, I think that that's, you know, compelling content. So I, I completely understand that. Before we wrap up with you, Sam, um, I have to bring up the bartender. For those that don't know out there, if you do follow Sam on Twitter at SP Shoot, every week um, he tweets out a pic from the bartender with a, a, a bottle of liquor attached to the... But basically, like, the bartender is... He's, he's loving this game this week. Um, and it's become, like, a thing. Picks up a lot of steam where, you know... People don't want to be on the on the same side as this guy. You fade him. You, you fade. fade. He's like our office version of Luke. Even though Luke's come in a little bit hot lately, but as some, you know, I, I gotta say, I've seen a few people question his real existence. So I need you to, to speak on that. Um, can you confirm that he is indeed a real person? Where do you know him from or her, if they exist? And generally. I always preach that it's not a good idea to fade someone in the long run because most coin flippers are exactly that. They're just going to juice out. There are some very rare exceptions that over a long period of time, somehow, you know, for some reason or another, just end up being fades that you can be profitable against. Are you confident enough that when you get a pick from the bartender, you will bet the opposite side every time? Okay, lots to unpack here. Um, number one, the bartender is a real person. He tends bar at a place that I used to work at in Chicago. When I left VEASAN, I had to get a job. And at that point, I was teaching class, and I was working Sunday nights at this bar on Roosevelt and Halstead. And we had one of our, I guess he was one of our bosses, who looked the part, you know, like tacky watch, Irish Tam, you know, just can't pick a winner. And I would be sitting there on Sundays and I would, he'd have the newspaper open and he'd be looking at the, uh, the odds in the sun times and he would circle like two games. And I would always, I I'm not kidding. I would go into the trash because he would throw the paper out. I would go into the trash to see what he had circled. And it was always, you know, Packers minus one on the road or, you know, the dog getting six and a half, like the dog that just pulled the upset last week right. is now getting six and a half on the road. And he's on the public dog. So he's either on the square favorite or the public dog, you know, 90% of the time. And I just started going, you know what? I need to know who you like. Like, I'm going to start texting you. He didn't answer the text. So I would physically go to the bar on Saturday. It wasn't far from where I lived. And I go, what do we like tomorrow? And then he'd just start going and going and going. And then he'd always go, but the one I really love. <laughs> and I'd, I'd like grab the table. I'd like perk up. He's like, I love the Lions getting 12 and a half or whatever. And they'd lose 31 to six or whatever. So the ones that he really loved was the beginning of the bartender. I remember he loved the Chargers were getting, you know, seven and a half on the road at New Orleans or whatever. And Drew Brees threw for five touchdowns or something like that. So that's how it started. He went 11 and 23 in his first season, which is impossible to keep up. I think we all know that eventually you're going to regress the right way. Um, the second year he was 24 and 27 and all time right now, he is 39 and 54. So if I do that quick math, 39 divided by 93, he's just over 41%, almost 42%. Profitable um, fade at this point. Yes. Very profitable. Fade. I mean, that's to date, not historically, largest, historically, but yes, it's not, not the not largest to sample size. You know, it's only 93 games. 
but of the 93 games, like I can sit here and probably count on two hands how many times he was on the right side. You know, like he never beats the line. Um, he loves the the primetime bailouts. Like Sunday, he bailed out. He goes, oh, shit, it's Brady and Mahomes. I'm going over. And look, did he know Tampa was going to fumble the opening kickoff right. and change the whole game? No. He saw Brady, Mahomes, and, and bet the over in a game that opened 48 and closed 46, you know? Um, so he's a gem. Um, you know, I've said this, I, the day he dies will be very sad for a lot of people, even though they've never met him. Um, but he's, he's a good dude, just can't pick a winner and he will text, you know, he knows who he is. He understands that he's got a role now in the show. Okay. I was going to ask that whether or not he, he was aware. Know. Okay. He knows. Yeah, he knows. And, uh, if you're ever in Chicago, I will take you to, to meet this legend. I promise you that. He's just, he's the best. And you never know, unfortunately, you never know when they're coming. Sometimes it's a Saturday morning. Sometimes it's a Saturday night. Sometimes it's an hour before kickoff. Like you never know. But we were sitting there. I was back in Chicago. Long story short, he came out with a banger, lost by two touchdowns. And we're sitting at the bar and he's working. And the Niners had just beat the Bears, or the Bears had just beat the Niners the following week, the previous week. So the Bears are 1-0. And they were getting 10 and a half in Green Bay. And out of nowhere, he just goes, I love the Bears tonight. And I go, I like drop my shit. And I'm like, oh, I got to pull the phone out and tweet out Bears plus 10 and a half. Uh, Rogers and company took care of business. He's just the ultimate impulse, wrong side gambler. And uh, it's one, I think it's one of the best bits on gambling Twitter. He's basically the spirit animal of tortellini the tortoise if you will if tortellini was a bartender this is that guy i'm pretty sure uh guys like this they have like some sort of immaculate ability to just pick losers i would you know it's, it's like when tortellini went against ben the better in the handicapping contest and all these sports books started posting odds and they made tortellini like a small favorite and he got bet up to like minus 170 i literally a coin flipping tortoise and i would have made him a favorite over ben as well at the time and i feel like the bartender is lumped into that that mix as well but um that sam i really appreciate the time today uh we close with the same question to every single one of our guests if you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself what piece of advice would you give to your former self mm. five years ago 2017 i'm getting ready to move to vegas uh, and have my entire world rocked by people that I thought I trusted. Um, I would say, well, the first tip is to not, unless you have it in writing, it ain't real. Okay. That's first. That's what I would tell myself first and foremost. Second would be to save more money. Uh, cause I had some tough times out in Vegas when I was making like $45,000 a year. And, uh, that was, that was tough to get by out there for sure. But I would say it would be to keep your friends close, uh, keep the ones you don't trust somewhat even closer. Um, but remember people that have helped you out. You know, I remember when I moved out to Vegas, I was having some tough times. I was I was running with some some crowds that weren't right and not keeping in touch with people that loved me and cared about me. Um, not to get like sentimental, emotional here, but remember who's got your back and remember who's in your corner. And the rest will take care of itself. So 
Uh, that was a couple different things, bingo, bango, bongo, but um, get it in writing, I guess is important. Uh, save some money, if you will. And uh, remember the people that love you, support you, and that are in your corner, because at the end of the day, uh, that's the most important thing that we have in life. Three pieces of advice you could say, Sam fed three birds with one scone right there. <laughs> you could say that. Sam Paniotovich, you could follow him on Twitter, at SPShoot. You can watch him as a betting analyst on Nessin. You can read his stuff at Nessin, at Fox Sports. And he is the host of a great sports betting podcast, Chicken Dinner. I highly, highly encourage anyone to check that out. Just subscribe to it on Spotify like I do, and you'll get an alert anytime it goes live. Uh, for those who are enjoying, enjoying the comment on the content on the Hammer Betting Network, please check us out at thehammer.bet. Subscribe, like the podcast as well. This has been episode 71 of Circles Off. We'll catch everyone next week.